Hi, my name is Marcy Minchel, LCSW at Salem Village in Juliet. Earlier this year, I presented on the topic of self-advocacy during a monthly social work meeting. This podcast will highlight that discussion, outline the steps in self-advocacy, discuss interventions and how to support residents as they make efforts to self-advocate in their daily lives. The goal is to introduce self-advocacy skills strengthen existing skills and make outcomes successful and long-lasting. Let's begin with the basics. What is self-advocacy? Self-advocacy is learning how to speak up for yourself, making decisions about your life, learning how to get information on things that are important to you, finding out who will support and assist you in your efforts, knowing your rights and your responsibilities, problem solving, listening and learning in the process, reaching out to others when you need help, learning about self-determination, which is a combination of attitudes and abilities that leads people to set goals for themselves and take the initiative to reach these goals. As clinicians, we see residents struggle in one or many of these areas in their daily interactions with us, staff, peers, and even family members. The reasons are simple, complex, ingrained, and sometimes unknown. The conversation during my presentation yielded the following feedback from peers on their observations working with residents. This is the greatest generation and they are too proud to ask for help. If a resident has had a negative response or encounter asking for something, they won't ask again, even if it means suffering, being in pain, or going without something that they need. Some residents have lost hope. They feel there is no point asking for something or for help because no one will come due to staffing issues, lack of empathy, laziness, and the fact that no one cares. Given these observations, teaching self-advocacy in our clinical sessions becomes an important focus and technique. Let's move on to an actual to the actual steps involved in self-advocacy. Number one is identify the need and the concern. This is in the resident's own words. Number two, who do you need to communicate the need and concern to? Is this the doctor, the RN, family, social worker, physical therapist, occupational therapist, etc.? How will you communicate the need or or the concern? Is this face-to-face, in writing, phone call, email? How will you communicate your need? Do you need support or guidance with making this need known? Communicate. How will you engage in making this need known? Follow-up. Follow-up after the initial communication. Has this need or concern been resolved or satisfied? What steps need to happen if the need or concern still exists? And then there's that self-evaluation. How do you navigate the self-advocacy steps? Can you identify strengths and or weaknesses with your approach? How do you modify if you need continued assistance with making your advocacy needs met? We're gonna move on now to interventions. The resident and the CSW work together on the self-advocacy skills in sessions, focusing on the steps outlined above. 
Once the resident has identified a need or a concern in their own words, therapeutic interventions assist in this process. I will discuss two interventions. The first is modeled role-playing, and the second will be cognitive reframing. Modeled role-playing. Modeled role-playing can be used in many different ways to enhance the resident's self-advocacy skills. One of the many benefits of this intervention is that it allows the resident an opportunity to practice a stated concern in a familiar, supported environment with feedback and support. This support can translate to confidence in real-time advocacy situations. Let's take a look at this in the session. The resident explains concern while the CSW or the social worker offers feedback and support. The resident participates in a modeled role-play scenario that is accommodating and sympathetic to the presenting needs. Next, the resident participates in a modeled role-play scenario that offers resistance or questions the need. Next, the resident participates in a modeled role-play scenario where the resident is listening to the social worker present their stated need and that they choose the outcome. This scenario should allow the resident to experience success, but also anticipate pushback and resistance. The goal is to allow the resident to practice skills in the session with the social worker so they are successful in real-time situations. Experiencing as many potential outcomes as possible is critical as they rehearse for the real thing. Next, let's take a look at cognitive reframing. Cognitive reframing or cognitive restructuring is a technique drawn from cognitive therapy that can help people identify, challenge, and alter stress-inducing thought patterns and beliefs. The goal is to start testing each thought for accuracy. This technique is commonly used with cognitive distortions. Cognitive distortions are simply ways that our mind convinces us of something that isn't really true. These inaccuracies or inaccurate thoughts are usually used to reinforce negative thinking or emotions. Telling ourselves things that sound rational, inaccurate, but really only serve to keep us feeling bad about ourselves. By learning to correctly identify this kind of thinking, we can then answer the negative thinking back and refute it. By refuting the negative thinking over and over again, it will slowly diminish over time and be automatically be replaced by more rational, balanced thinking. Here are a few cognitive distortions. Filtering. A person engaging in mental filtering takes the negative details and magnifies those details while filtering out all the positive aspects of the situation. For instance, a person may pick out a single unpleasant detail and dwell on it excessively so that their vision of reality becomes darkened or distorted. When a, cognif a cognitive filter is applied, the person sees only the negative and ignores anything positive. Overgeneralization. In this cognitive distortion, a person comes to a general conclusion based on a single incident or a single piece of evidence. If something bad happens just once, they expect it to happen over and over again. A person may see a single unpleasant event as part of a never-ending pattern of defeat. 
blaming. When a person engages in blaming, they hold other people responsible for their emotional pain and feelings. For example, stop making me feel bad about myself. Nobody can make us feel bad or in any particular way about ourselves. Only we have the control to make us feel one way or another about ourselves. Always being right. When a person engages in this distortion, they are continually trying to prove that their opinion and actions are the absolute correct ones. To this person, engaging in always being right, being wrong is unthinkable. They will go to any length to demonstrate their rightness. The significance of discussing cognitive distortions is an is in understanding the role and impact they have in the self-advocacy process. Interventions are shaped around these cognitive distortions to address negative thought processes so that the new thought pattern can be created with a focus on self-advocacy. Once the clinician identifies the negative pattern of thinking inhibiting self-advocacy, it is addressed in the session with the goal of changing the pattern to a more positive way of thinking. The overall goal is to assist residents in their pursuit of being heard, validated, and having their needs met as defined by them. Assisting residents in the therapeutic process allows for support, growth, and assurance that they have the skills to meet their needs. The benefits can be limitless. Thank you for the opportunity to present this podcast and for your interest in self-advocacy.